It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Thanks for tuning in today. This week, we dive into part two of Dan Cavallari's holiday gift ideas with a focus on cool things you might not necessarily need, but certainly wouldn't mind seeing in your stocking or under your tree. First, though, we're going to check in with my friend and colleague, Shannon Galpin. It's been a while since we last spoke and much has transpired since our last conversation. The amazing activist, author, artist, and human rights advocate is still working to evacuate more women, girls, and families from Afghanistan while helping to work with a variety of entities to place those who are stuck in a sort of limbo. There are also some women and families who have been resettled around the world and still need help with education, bikes, housing, and most importantly, a pathway to feeling accepted in their new countries. There is still much work to do. Hi, Shannon. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. It's been a really long time since we talked, and you look lovely. Last time I saw you, you had a beanie on your head, but now I see that you don't. How are you? I'm good. I've just had my first shower in like 15 months since I saw you. So I'm, I'm feeling good <laughs> in your first shower. <laughs> feels, it feels like it. it's been a long time since I saw you. So yeah, it's been a long 15 months. It's been that long since we spoke. Wow. That's amazing. And a lot of things have happened since then. And that's, I want to catch up on it and give listeners an opportunity to participate in the work you're doing this time of year. Uh, I, always offer my listeners an opportunity to uh, do some charitable giving. And of course, it has to be somewhat cycling related. And I think resettlement and education of Afghan women and girls is really high on the list for me, as you know. So tell us just to sort of backtrack a little bit and bring us up to date. Start with what happened when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan And you and I started this mad scramble with a gentleman in Israel to bring the first of these girls out and then where we are today. So August 15th, I began gathering together a list of the women that I had been working with in Afghanistan um, for nearly 10 years, um, the first Afghan women to cycle. And that's 2020. 2020. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. August 15th, 2020, um, I began working with um, a whole slew of women uh, who were working to track down female athletes, female human rights defenders. And I was focused with uh, the cyclists, but also a lot of other athletes that I knew to create a master list of athletes and kind of create this database, thinking that there would be an evacuation um, that we could push this list onto and that then, you know, kind of good, my job is done. Um, I've, I've been able to, to get everyone that we knew were the, the most at-risk athletes and human rights defenders um, to safety. And by 24 hours later, 
it was apparent there was not going to be an evacuation that was in any way uh, logical, <laughs> that was in any way um, feasible, and that it, it was just this madhouse that everybody saw unfold um, in the media. And 15 months later, um, that has, has just continued day by day. I have not had a day off in 15 months as I have worked to evacuate Afghan men and women athletes and family members. Um, and it's just really important if I backtrack all the way, I worked in Afghanistan since 2008 and my work was focused on women's rights projects. But since 2012, I was the only international to work with the first generation of female cyclists. So my my connection to Afghanistan and to Afghan cycling is firsthand. And so the the women that I was really focused on evacuating were women I rode bikes with and that I helped support, that I financially supported, that I helped build projects alongside. Um, that I sponsored racing for, and that I um, that I knew, and whose family members I knew, uh, that the documentary Afghan Cycles with the filmmaker Sarah Menzies, um, you know, we documented these girls for five years. So uh, this was really personal. It was it was something where not only did I feel that we needed to um, support these young women who are athletes. And like many were working to evacuate female athletes because we knew that they would be targeted by the Taliban, but also because I felt directly responsible um, because I had worked with them myself on the ground in Afghanistan for so many years. So let me reintroduce you. And then I have a couple of questions before we talk about where we are today. I'm speaking with Shannon Galpin. She's an activist. She is a friend and she is probably one of the bravest women I know. You just do so many cool things and bring some of these things to light that people don't really think about, but you do it in a very artistic and a very um, positive way. And so it has an impact, a lot of impact. And we will on our website, once again, um, put a lot of links to the, the work that Shannon has been doing over the years. So how many women and their families have you been able to evacuate? I know they're not all in one place. I know some have gone to the UAE, some have gone to Italy, some have gone to Canada, some have gone to Portugal. Where, how many are out and then how many are left? So I have evacuated over 150 uh, cyclists and family members. Uh, and then 112 of those are actually resettled. And those resettlements are into six different countries. Those that are in that 112 to 150 that are not yet resettled are in a third country, um, predominantly Pakistan, waiting to be resettled. And we're paying for their safe keeping, housing and food because everyone has had to leave uh, with nothing. And so for the past nearly a year now, since I've evacuated um, most, we've been also then paying for them um, and supporting them. And uh, there are still cyclists in Afghanistan and they are predominantly Hazara, which is the ethnic minority that is targeted by the Taliban. Um, there's been a lot of protests over the last few months trying to raise awareness over the ethnic genocide of the Hazaras, which has been really powerful to see. Um, 
but the cyclists that are left in Afghanistan are really losing hope that they have a way out. The cyclists that are in Pakistan also are feeling pretty hopeless. Um, you know, visas have dried up. Um, there's a few that are that are still waiting for visa processing, so they do have a way out, but they're they're just waiting. So we see a light at the end of the tunnel, but we have several that have direct death threats. Um, you know, we're we're hiding them because they have death threats. But nobody will take them. We can't find any way out for them. And so literally today I was having this discussion. I personally am the only one supporting them. Nobody else is supporting them. So I as an individual have been supporting these athletes for over a year. Over 150 people. And that's just coming from crowdfunding. No one else. So how... Do you say to those people, well, I can't, as one person, can't do that anymore because the crowdfunding is dried up. Nobody else wants to, to, to support this um, as people's attentions shift. Yet the cycling community is not stepping up. After a year, the cycling community is not supporting Afghan cyclists um, to keep them safe when they have direct death threats on their life. But then I have to say at some point, I can't fund housing as one individual single mother endlessly. You know, that, that is not, my, I can't do this. I stepped in to evacuate people. Um, I can't just endlessly, you know, support the housing. And yet the weight of those conversations, having conversations with Afghans and saying, okay, I've done this for a year now. I need to go back to my life and raise my daughter and uh, go back to my job. I need, you know, I need to survive myself. I need to do my job and good luck. Good luck. You can't say that. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you do that? I was like, you, we how do we, like, you know, how do we find you more support? How do we do this? You can't do that. There's there, like Afghanistan as a country has collapsed. There is no support. Right. Right. Let me ask you about the situation with the cycling community, the Afghan Cycling Federation, the UCI. Where does all that stand? It was such a, a, a cluster, as we say. There's a nice word for that, but we'll leave that out of this. Um, it was such a mess. Is it still a mess? Is anybody paying attention? It is still a huge mess, and I am actually, it is difficult for me to talk about because there is an investigation with the Ethics Commission, so I have to be careful or I risk the investigation being dismissed. Um, it took me eight months to get enough evidence collected on my own with the, with the cyclists for charges against the Afghan Cycling Federation to bring an investigation to the Ethics Commission. That is now in progress. It has been in progress since May. There's no light at the end of the tunnel, which means I am still unable to speak freely. And yet those who are being investigated can freely go about their business and speak freely. It's very frustrating because it limits my ability to fundraise. It limits my ability 
to press for visas for those who had direct threats and still are uh, in safe houses and don't have and don't have onward support yet. And it also means that UCI has not been held accountable. Um, there, there was this incredible bringing together of the female cyclists from six different countries in Switzerland for this women's cycling championship a couple of weeks ago, which was very bittersweet. It was incredible for the cyclists, especially those teammates who were scattershot across multiple countries. Um, they got to see each other for the first time, you know, in over a year. Um, some of them were on bikes for the first time in over a year because many of them had only recently been resettled and they hadn't got bikes yet. Um, some of them have been training for a long time because they were immediately put onto teams back in August, September of last year. So there was a wide disparity of, of levels. And yet, I'm not allowed to be there. All these women that I evacuated, I'm not allowed to be there, nor was I acknowledged in any way. Why can't you be there? Because it's a UCI event? Because UCI, Sylvan Adams, and Fosley, the president of the Afghan Cycling Federation, I am person non grata. Really? So that's a very difficult situation. Do you have no representation? Like legal? I have, yeah, I do for the investigation. Okay. I do for the Okay. And I think I know who is in, who, who that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have to be very careful because we can't risk the investigation. There's a lot of egos with, with rich white men. And I'll just leave it with that. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how listeners can help and get this uh, resettlement fund booted up again so that it isn't all falling on your shoulders. We're speaking with Shannon Galpin. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on the Outspoken Cyclists and Shannon Galpin and I are um, speaking about how to help the Afghan women and men and families who both are still in Afghanistan and need to get out and who are sort of in limbo and need to move forward. So there's a lot of chaos around the world, not just Afghanistan. Iran is like up in arms. And I think about what it might take for the world to remember the women and girls of Afghanistan. So what can we do like today? What is it that, that you need? What is it that they need? And how do they participate in a way that will move things forward? Two things that are needed. And I think that it's really important because we seem to have lost the, the ability to remember that our stories and our threads are, are intrinsically tied. What's happening in Iran, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in the U.S., what's happening in France are all intrinsically tied. You know, what happens with a woman in Iran is no different than the fight that I have for bodily autonomy and my human rights as an American woman. Um, what When we see the, the struggle happening in Iran and Afghanistan are two great examples to, to kind of cross-pollinate because 
when the protest of Afghan women for their right to go to school was happening. It was a very, these are very small protests, but they've been happening all year long. And these women are insanely brave to march in the streets and the Taliban are beating them and they're risking getting arrested. And the, the world's attention has gone to Ukraine and other places when the Iranian protests started and they're huge and they have the men protesting with them in solidarity. It has emboldened the Afghan women, you know, again, like there's a, there's a reinvigoration up again and they're, they're not at contest with each other. They're in solidarity with each other. Audre Lorde famously said, and I'm going to butcher how beautifully she said it, but you know, I am not free if if all women are not free. Right. We are not the singular pockets. We are all humanity. So it's really important. What we need is we need funding. And, you know, we, we have to stop pretending that, that we don't and that money doesn't matter. Money matters. I can't evacuate people across borders without money. I can't buy passports and visas without money. I can't feed people and house people in safe houses without money. We can't get people medical assistance in Pakistan when they need it without money. We've had, we've had two appendicitis. We've had two um, births, emergency births of family members. How, like, we have to be able to support that as well when people are evacuated on our watch and we're safekeeping them. All of that has taken money. It has, it has cost me. And we, I'm now under a nonprofit umbrella, so people can donate directly if they want to. If they want to donate a larger amount, and we can, we can give them the banking details of the UK nonprofit I Pro Bono. They have a US uh, reciprocity for uh, a tax write-off if they need it, um, which is a humanitarian humanitarian nonprofit that has given me an umbrella to operate for for as long as we need it. We have the Just Giving campaign set up so that we can have a new campaign that goes directly into the iPro Bono fund um, to support to th this work so that essentially we can finish this work. But it has cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. At this, till my last count, it was close to $400,000. That's what it has taken to get these people out and resettled and to safeguard the amount of people that we have. It's approximately now, because of inflation and because Pakistan keeps raising rates, um, but it is approximately two to $3,000 per person to evacuate across the border. That's a land evacuation. And it's approximately $750 per month per person to keep them safe. It's not cheap. I've been doing, like, especially when you're looking at a year for 150 people um, coming and going and some are shorter time periods and some are longer, but it takes money. And then it takes awareness. So, you know, my social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram, I have always had that my Instagram has tried to keep an ongoing diary over the last year of what's happened and stories that I could share um, photos that I could safely share. And my Twitter is just an onslaught of various information and, and articles. If people want more information around, you know, the, the Federation and UCI story, cycling tips, um, Ian Trelore, 
investigated that for several months and there's a lot of public information with cycling tips and Ian Trelor. They just have to Google that and they'll find what's public and what I can't speak publicly about. That's all been been up. All right. So we will post all of the opportunities on our website. We will also add them to all of our social media. So what are you doing to take care of you and Devin? Not as much as I should. And so that's my failing as a mother is taking care of Devin. Yeah, don't beat yourself up so much. She's oh, I I know she's growing up quickly, but and she still needs you, but you know, she gets it. And she's just as much an activist as her mother. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Um, I've done absolutely nothing for me, and I can say that, like, you know, we moved to Scotland, you know, a month before all this came down, and uh, I've I've done we've done nothing, absolutely nothing. I've missed two birthdays. Uh, I've done absolutely nothing to celebrate my own birthdays. I've done like you know, that is yeah. I mean, and so this need that's a big part of all of this is I need to be able to set some balance now that things have slowed down, but also to finish this and and be able to step away and focus on the fact that we do have so many out. And a great example is we do have three cyclists in the U.S. that just arrived in Seattle. So if there's anyone in Seattle, we have three incredible young cyclists in Seattle. They just got support from the Cascade Cycling Club to get bikes. So that has just come through in the last, which is incredible. Um, but they're still needing housing. And it's it's one girl, Shakiba, who's 18, um, and two minors. She's now in charge of two young teenagers. That's a lot of pressure on an 18-year-old that she should not have had. They were all supposed to be evacuated with the rest of their team to Canada, but they were separated from them in the UAE detention camp. And we were able to finally get them to the US, but they're separated now from the rest of their team. And it would have been the sisterhood that helped to all support each other. Now they're really isolated. I have a dear friend in Seattle that's trying to help, but we need to build a community. So Seattle cycling community, if you are there, uh, that's one place that we need some support. So um, they, can they contact the Cascade Cycling Club to find out more? So they're a big club and I know that they do a lot of good work. They do. And they've been amazing. They like stepped up really quick once they found out. Um, yes. And they can D and people can also DM me. I mean, really what we need is we need mentors. We need, they need friends and mentors you know, predominantly female, um, you know, for, in terms of the, you know, in, individual con- connections, but they've, they've just been in, you know, in a hotel, you know, they need support. They need to engage in the community. They need mentors. We've got a group in Calgary. They also need support. They've been really well taken care of. Um, they've been there a long time, but we, they still need support. Um, you know, there's never enough. The German group has amazing connections, um, but if we've, if we've got any German connections, we, we still need, we always need more. Um, the Italy crew is well taken care of. I'm trying to think of where else we've got people. The Swedish group is good. So, I mean, pretty much it's, it's, the, it's the US and, and Canada group. The, the Europeans are really well taken care of, but um, anyone can follow again on social media and see, see where everybody's at. You know, I think it's a reminder, again, sometimes we think bikes and I know we're all cyclists and we love to ride, but we have to remember that these are women that risked their lives 
to change their culture on two wheels. These are women that are the first generation of cyclists in their country. They're the first women to race bikes in their country. They did a phenomenal um, job in, in literally one decade of claiming space, of risking their lives to ride a bike, and of starting to normalize what it was to ride a bike. Um, and then the Taliban came and they had to flee and they had to burn their, their awards and their diplomas and their bike gear and, and hide and erase their social media presence and erase their identities. And they're starting to reclaim that, those that are out. Those that are not out, we still have a job to do. But those that are out have been traumatized and we need to help them rebuild their identities as cyclists. And it's important that the cycling community does what it does best, which is come together, help them build community, but also um, help build the network so that we can finish the job. Okay, Shannon, well, we're going to get this out on the airwaves and we... I especially appreciate you and your work. Uh, and I'm hoping that when the cycling community gets a hold of this one again, that they remember to step up. It's an important cause. You know, every one of these women and their families yeah. are part of our family. They are. They are. Thanks, Shannon. It's so great to talk with you. You take care of yourself and Devin. Thank you. Shannon Galpin joined me from her home in Scotland. You can make your tax-deductible donation to the JustGiving.com campaign listed on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com. You can also follow Shannon on all social media at Shannon Galpin. And if you are in the area that is served by the Cascade Cycling Club, you can help those who have settled there by contacting Cascade.org. Let's take a break, and when we return, we'll chat with Dan Cavallari about his Love Them Items picks for 2022. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. When I log in to chat with Dan Cavallari, he's sitting in his garage with a microphone and computer, only it doesn't look much like the inside of a garage. As a rabid product tester for a variety of entities, Dan's garage actually looks more like the inside of a bike shop. This week, he gives us five picks for holiday ideas. You are going to want to share them with friends and family. Well, Dan, it's week two. We're going to get ready for things that you might want to have, but don't absolutely have to have, but are really cool for the holidays. What's on your list? 
Oh man, so many things. <laughs> I <laughs> want. Do, we only did three last week, so we let's yeah. do a couple more this week. Okay. Well, so I, you know, again, last week we did sort of a, uh, you know, an inexpensive, a mid-range, and, a, and an expensive. So let's start with another inexpensive one. That now I have this compulsion right now, which is to get rid of all things plastic especially single use plastic. I'm really, it's, it's just sort of become a thing in my life that I just want plastic gone. And one of the things that keeps showing up, uh, is, is water bottles and, and I don't want any more plastic water bottles. Fortunately, there's a really cool one, uh, called the Bevo B I V O water bottle and it's metal. And, you know, we've seen this in the past where, you know, we, you see a metal water bottle and it's what you think, oh, it's got, it's heavy. I don't want to put that on my bike. The Bevo is not very heavy. And one of the cool things about it is, you know, we can squeeze a plastic water bottle to get that last bit of, of water out. Bevo's got a really pretty ingenious, uh, straw, uh, system inside that allows you to get that last bit out of the water bottle. So it's, you know, it takes kind of a little bit of getting used to, to not grab your water bottle and immediately squeeze. Uh, but the Bevo is really, it's my go-to water bottle. I use it road bike, mountain bike, uh, gravel bike, and it's indestructible. You drop it. It's just going to, you know, it's metal. <laughs> it's and how be, much is it? Uh, $40. So it okay. is a little more expensive than your typical plastic water bottle, but again, it's going to last forever. So can you, apparently you could probably put it in the dishwasher if it's metal. Yes. To yep. keep it clean. Dishwasher Very safe. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm all with you with the getting rid of single use plastic stuff. I, you know, I'm starting to convert all my um, stuff in the refrigerator to glass Pyrex, you know, yeah. When, yeah. for leftovers, which I hate. Um, <laughs> but anyway, very, very cool. Bevo. Uh, I take it. This is a bike shop product. I hope. Yep. You can, you can get it at your local bike shop. You can buy them online. Uh, it's, it's, it's readily available everywhere at the moment. And actually you're, you're starting to see a lot of brands, you know, slap their own logos on it, um, which is kind of cool. And so sure. you can customize. You can, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So very cool. Uh, 40 bucks. I think it's another no brainer can go in a stocking. <laughs> well, a big stocking. So let me ask you a question. Will it fit in the standard cage? Yes, uh, it's it's pretty similarly sized to most uh, most of your your typical uh, plastic water bottles. If you have a particularly tight water bottle cage, you know you might have to wrestle it in a little bit. So maybe just be cognizant of that. But I haven't had any trouble, and I've used quite a few. So I've got you know carbon ones, I've got aluminum cages, I've got titanium cages, and they've it's fit in all of them. Um, you might run into the same issues with mountain bikes. So a lot of mountain bikes, especially full suspension mountain bikes, it's a little tight in that area for for water bottles in general. Uh, and so you have a lot of side loader type uh, water bottle cages. Um, best bet is to test it if you can. Uh, but generally speaking, I have not had any issues with it. Perfect. Okay. What What's next on your list? All right. So if you want to take a little step up, if you really like this person you're buying gifts for, especially... <laughs> Uh, so Pearl Izumi has been putting out some really neat clothing. And, you know, I think a lot of brands that have done cycling clothing in the past have now realized that, uh, you know, hey, actually looking good kind of matters. Uh, so <laughs> listen, I have a statement, a saying that I always that I always tell people it is not who you are. It is how you look and what you wear. Right. Nobody cares who you are. Okay. I, I always tell people I don't care if I if I am fast. I just want to look fast. You exactly. Know? <laughs> okay. So what's Pearl got these days? So Pearl Izumi's got a great lineup of stuff these days. But one of the things that has really impressed me, and I actually meant to wear it today, so I could show you, and I forgot. Uh, it's the uh, Pearl Izumi Rove R O V E uh, thermal shirt. It's one hundred and forty five dollars, so it's pretty pricey. But this thing is so perfect if you do any winter commuting uh, or winter mountain biking, uh, even winter gravel riding. Thing is so cozy. It's got this. They call it a Sherpa lining, 
which is just super warm and it's not bulky, which is really cool. Um, so it's, it's comfortable. It looks great. You, you could wear it to the coffee shop. Nobody's going to look at you like a weirdo because you're clomping around in your, you know, 1980s map kit <laughs> instead of your, you know, so, and it's also made from uh, some recycled materials. Uh, so it's, 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 uh, it's water repellent. I mean, there's just so much going for it. It's a smartly designed piece, uh, that looks good, feels good. I, I end up wearing it all the time. Zips. It's a button up. Button up. Uh, oh, yep. interesting. Collar, yep. no collar. Yep. It's got a collar. Uh, it's, it's the one I have is Brown. Uh, I think they call it loam, but it's also, of available. course they do. Yes. Loom, but it's also available in a smoke gray. Uh, I love the thing. I wear it all the time. Uh, so probably one of the, my favorite pieces that's come across my desk. Yeah. I was a pearl dealer for 150 years and I've always liked their stuff. I know they've been back and forth, bought and sold, bought and sold. Shimano had them for a while. Now they're, I think back out on their own or somebody else bought them. So I'm glad to see that, that pearl is still, you know, doing some, some interesting things. Is it machine washable? Uh, yes, it is. Yes. And you can even, you can even put, throw it in the dryer on low. Really? Really? Yes. Well, that will make people happy. That will yeah. make people happy. Okay. So now we have something to drink out of something to wear. What's next? Well, another, another thing to wear. And I know, you know, okay. so I have a friend that, that runs a, a bike clothing company and he always says, you know, you spend so much money on your bike and and really what makes you comfortable is your clothing and so and that's really going to have a, an outsized effect on the ride so to me you know good clothing really matters and i ride a lot of gravel these days as i'm sure a lot of your listeners do and one of the funny things is you know people kind of balk at new stuff and say oh that's silly and i was one of those people that kind of balked at those new bib shorts that have the pockets on the side uh you know the the little thigh pockets i can't ride without them now i love them i love them i love them and my favorite pair right now. And I have several, uh, but my favorite pair is from, uh, Endura and it's the GV 500 Reaver. Uh, that's R E I V E R bib shorts. Uh, again, pricey, they're $170, but what I love about them is first of all, there's a good chamois, which any bib shorts, you gotta have good chamois. That's, that's hands down the most important thing. Um, but these shorts also come with those, uh, the, the carrying capacity on the side, the cargo, uh, slots on the side, they look great. I have this like green color. Um, I only see the black on the website right now, but I have this really cool green color. And what I also really love, and I've harped about this forever uh, about bib shorts, is the straps. You have to have good straps because they're they're laying over your shoulders, and when they bunch up, boy, that is so uncomfortable to me. <laughs> uh, so these these lay flat. They're beautiful, and it's it's um it, they don't move. So there's a back uh, strap as well. It's not one strap like some uh, bibs. It's actually a two strap system, uh, and it just it stays right in place. So it's um, you know, and you move around a lot more on a gravel bike. So that actually comes in handy. So I've been pretty impressed with these uh, these Endura shorts. I really like them. And I think if you're going to get into gravel riding, and even if you're just a road roadie who, you know, goes out on, on long rides and you're always like stuffing your pockets and your Jersey starts to, you know, pull on your neck, like you're being choked from behind these shorts, just, you, you just, you just can't beat them. There's such an easy way to get to your nutrition or whatever else you need on the fly. So here's the sexist question. Do they make them for women? Uh, I don't know the answer. Let's find out. Uh, I'm on their website right so now. Endura, I remember when Endura first came on the scene. It was many, many years ago. And the salesman in Northeast Ohio was actually like part of the company. He was such an interesting guy. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. Maybe Brian would remember. But they are from, is it Switzerland? or Scotland. Sweden? 
right? Scotland. Yeah, Scotland. Scotland. Oh, okay. Yeah, I knew it was with an S. So they're yeah. in Scotland. Okay, right. Yeah. So they're still there. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And they they do have, by the way, they do have a women's version of the Reaver uh, bib shorts. So that's cool. Yes. And, and Endura is one of those companies that's, that's they. I'm not surprised that they have the women's short. They've been sort of ahead of the curve on that uh, with offering all their great technology in women's as well. Uh, and there are other options as well on the website if you don't like that particular style. They have so many different different things to choose from. And, you know, by the way, Endura, um, because they're from Scotland, my goodness, if you're ever riding in wet conditions, they've got that science down pat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you'd say that. Yeah. Just because Scotland is like always wet. Always wet. Always. All right. So we have two things to wear and then we have a bottle. What's, mm -hmm. what's your next item? Well, I have a stocking stuffer for you. Oh, good. This is really cool. This one kind of just showed up randomly. Um, and, and I, I kind of cast it aside because I, was, I just had so much stuff on my desk. Um, but uh, PNW Components, uh, which is uh, PNW's Pacific Northwest. Uh, so they're obviously they're up in the Pacific Northwest. They're making a whole line of tools and, and products and uh, even components and even clothing. Um, and they're a relatively new company, but they just came out with this really nifty little tool called the Pebble Tool. And it's about, uh, I think it's like 37 bucks. Uh, and it, it's, what's unique about it is first of all, it's really small, but it's, you know, so it's great for tossing in your pocket or in your pack, whatever. And it's got just the absolute basics in terms of Allen keys. But what really makes it cool is that it also has a Dyna plug, uh, built into it. So if you're not familiar with Dyna plugs, basically when you get a, a flat on a tubeless tire, or if, you know, you you feel it going soft and you can see the, the, the stuff spraying out, um, the Dyna plug is a little, basically a tire plug that goes into the hole and seals it up so that you can get on your way. This was, has one worked right into the tool. So it's super cool and you can get refills. It comes in uh, all these really cool anodized colors. Uh, and it's, it's just so tiny that you, there's no reason not to carry it on every rod. Such a good idea. I really like that one. I mean, there is nothing worse than trying to figure out what the heck to do on the road with a tubeless tire and yep. stuff pouring out of it. Yep. Yeah, yep. really, really. All and right, you got one more? Um, well, I can I can throw a, a wearable at you. Now, okay. I'm not Oh, yes, yes, yes. And like you're not talking clothing. Yeah. No, 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 no clothing. We're done clothing. Um, I, I'm not much of a wearables guy in terms of, you know, watches and things like that, but I do have one that I guess I guess counts as a a wearable. Um, you know, it's we're heading into trainer season, right? Right. And I, I, uh, I do a lot of trainers, trainer sessions on Zwift and all that. And, you know, to get the most out of it, you need to track your heart rate. I hate heart rate straps, hate them, hate them, hate them. You mean the ones that go around your chest? Yes. 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 Okay. Super uncomfortable. And weirdly enough, and I, I've never found anybody else who's like this, but it, they, they put pressure right in the, in the, the perfect spot to give me a stomach ache. <laughs> I, I can I believe that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I haven't worn a chest strap in, in forever, but fortunately Wahoo makes one called the ticker fit. That's T I K T I C K R. Right. They don't like bowels. I know uh, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's $80 and it actually goes around your arm. Uh, I wear mine on my forearm and it's out of the way. Uh, it doesn't cut off circulation to anything. It's comfortable for the most part. Um, and I've worn it outside too. You can get it under an arm warmer. It's just so sleek um, and and low profile. Uh, I love it. It's an optical heart rate monitor. Uh, so it's, you know, there's there's a few different types of heart rate monitors. This one is the kind that just in layman's terms, shines a light into your skin. And uh, that's how it tracks your, your heart rate. 
And it's super simple, super easy to 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 start and to stop and to pair. I, I just can't do without this if I'm ever trying to track my heart rate. Um, and for 80 bucks, it's it's a good stocking stuffer. It's a low investment. If you hate heart rate straps around your chest like I do, this is this is the go-to. So does this only pair with Wahoo products? Nope. It's it can pair with anything you want to use. Uh it's it uses it's all Bluetooth. the protocols. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Oh. We got a lot this week. I really yeah. like this. Yeah, it should be Christmas and and Hanukkah every, and Kwanzaa like every month. That would be really cool. Right. Kind of in my garage. It is always kind of the holidays here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If people see would see your garage, they would understand yeah. uh, what yeah. we're talking about here. All right, Dan Cavallari again, slow guy on a fast ride. And uh, you want to listen to his podcast? You want to join him for whiskey on Fridays? Um, yeah, give him the whiskey. Uh, yeah. uh, Oh, man. So uh, thepracticalstill.com, and you'll find all our videos on YouTube at The Practical Still. And we every Friday at 2.30 Mountain Time, uh, we do a Friday Sips Live. You can come drink with us, and we we sample uh, whatever whiskeys we have our eyes on. We do tastings. We make fun of each other because we're like that. And uh, we uh, we have a great following of people who uh, who join in the conversation, and you can be one of them. That would be fun. All right. Well, we'll talk next week about things you absolutely do not need. How's that? That sounds great to me. (laughs) All right. Have a good week. All right. You too. Thanks. Dan Cavallari, the slow guy on the fast ride, joined me from his garage again. All the products we discussed, the Bevo bottle, the Pearl shirt, the Endura bibs, the PNW tiny tool, and the ticker fit heart rate monitor are linked on our website, OutspokenCyclist.com. Next time, Dan and I are going to discuss those things you probably shouldn't give a cyclist. So family and friends, you might want to listen up. We'll also speak with Dr. Madeline Bonsma-Fisher. She's a physicist turned bicycle infrastructure researcher in Canada, and her story is filled with fascinating ideas. My thanks to Dan and to Shannon Galpin for being my guests this week. And of course, my thanks to you for tuning in. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and follow us on all those social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I hope you have a great week. Please stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page, or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of BBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.